Welcome in to the first day of the new month, the new month being February. It is February 1st, 2024. Welcome into Focus with Paul W. Smith. It is a pleasure, a privilege, an honor to be with you noon to two live uh, every Monday through Friday. And if you stream us, that's great. That's the way to listen in. WJR.com, Alexa, Google Home, all your various devices that you listen in on. Of course, there's the WJR app, which all of us should have. I do, and I hope you do too. And then when you want to catch things that maybe you missed, like the whole show, if you can't be tuned in from noon to two, go to thegreatvoice.com. Thegreatvoice.com. It means a lot to us when you podcast our show. And you can listen to the whole show in like an hour and 10 minutes. It's amazing how they do that, but they do. And I hope you will, too. Go to thegreatvoice.com, listen to the podcast. February is Black History Month. This month marks a federally recognized nationwide celebration that calls on all Americans to reflect on the significant roles that African Americans have played in shaping U.S. history. We've got the, uh, uh, the Detroit Institute of Arts having an exhibit exploring early black cinema, according to uh, Erica Hobbs in a special report to the Detroit News. The history and impact black filmmakers had on early movie making is explored in a new exhibit, Regeneration Black Cinema, 1898 to 1971, at the Detroit Institute of Arts, the DIA. There's also a story here, uh, also in the Detroit News, uh, talking about this whole a uh, bunch of new exhibits, films, etc., tied into what I just mentioned to you, um, and uh, and we celebrate uh, the accomplishments of uh, folks uh, who were black, who have done many things in our history that were not covered initially. We're left out of the written history of the day, but that has been fixed, and it was fixed a while ago. It continues to be fixed, and that's. Uh, That's good. That's the right thing to do. We've got the team, the team, the team. Dave Rieger, our producer. Danielle Mason, pressing all the right buttons. Uh, And Rich Luzinski, keeping uh, an eye out there with our WJR traffic and weather first. David, are you you feeling any uh, jet lag or are you doing fine? I'm doing fine. No jet lag at all. I don't think I I I was out there long enough to get acclimated to the time difference. Yeah, I don't. I don't know how that works. I know that there are different uh, schools of thought on on jet lag. I I pretty much have avoided it most of the time when I was flying internationally for the auto shows and such. It just didn't seem to. I don't know if you get used to it or or what. But be that as it may, Lions um, are uh, are talking a lot about how that maybe we shouldn't think of what Dan said initially. Dan Campbell that. That might be their only chance. Uh, you can imagine that people are backing away from that. I don't think it's their only chance. Do you? No. And uh, they got both their coordinators back now. So um, that's good news for the Lions. They got their OC and their DC back. And uh, see what happens. Uh, free agency, the draft. Um, a lot of things can uh, can happen for next season. Uh, I think uh, one thing for sure, it'll be, it'll be, people will be like just very excited for, September to, to come quickly. Well, I think that uh, there is new life with these Lions. We uh, we did a lot that uh, a lot of people thought couldn't be done with the current ownership. That was uh, waylaid uh, very quickly this past season. And uh, 
I, I think we are going to look forward to the new season with the Lions. And how are we going to react to that USFL? Uh, we didn't react well to it in the past from my memory. You explain to me, uh, Dave Rieger. Well, um, it uh, now they've merged. So the XFL and the USFL are one league now. And uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, USFL, they had two separate different seasons going last last year. And, and I think they were moderately successful. And uh, so now we'll see what happens when they combine the two. I've never been a, a huge fan of spring football myself, whether it was USFL, Arena League, NFL Europe back in the day. It just it just could not really compete with the NFL in my mind. And uh, so we'll see we'll see how it goes. This will yeah. be the, this will be the first season, so uh, they start obviously a, we'll a, give it a try. They start a, a month from now, yeah. right? March. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Well, it'll be mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Over the weekend, uh, we never got a chance to talk about it. Everybody has heard it by now, but Elon Musk's Neuralink has been implanted in a human brain. This brain chip, first time, the first human patient receiving an implant from a brain chip. The startup Neuralink, Elon Musk's company, that happened Sunday. Uh, they were recovering well, um, and initial results show promising neuron spike detection, according to Elon Musk. Now, how do you feel about this? Uh, any thoughts from you, Danielle, Rich, or Dave, on the idea of starting to put uh, I- implants into brains? It started off on the they did the right thing, and I don't doubt they did the right thing for the for their own reasons, where they're talking about maybe helping people who heretofore have not been able to walk or talk or any number of things that they believe stimulating various parts of the brain with, with these links could help and change the lives of these people. That's excellent. Am I wrong in fearing what else they might be planning with this thing? Well, you know, there's always two ways to look at something like this. There is the helpful to have somebody who has some paralysis or, you know, some deficiency. But then you've got the mindset of, well, what could they also be implanting into your brain that, that we maybe wouldn't want? So, uh, you know, there's always I, I like to probably look at the positive and if it can help somebody, you know, with their um, either disability or whatever, you know, whatever, I think it'd be great. So I, I'll, I'll look at it that way. I don't know, uh, Danielle, it sounds as if that charisma implant uh, has worked very well on our Davy. <laughs> that was a very positive uh, outlook, Dave. Yeah, but did, but did you actually implant him yet? Well, I, I can't talk about that on okay. the radio because okay. of uh, whatever that that law is where okay. you can't talk about, you know, medical the, the whole HIPAA thing, right? Yeah. yeah. HIPAA. That's exactly. It. I can never remember. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm lucky now. I don't call it hippo. You know, that hippo thing. <laughs> anyway. Um, how, how'd you like the, uh, the social media CEOs grilling before uh, Congress? What did you think? Yeah. You know, I mean, listen, you know, I, I'm fine with it. I'm fine with them. You know, you have to get the information, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. With that. Okay. Um, uh, it, it's interesting to see the various reactions to Mark Zuckerberg's apology when kind of goaded into, I mean, he's on camera in front of the world when the congressman said, well, do you want to apologize to them now while we have cameras here and the world is watching? Well, it, it's <laughs> Zuckerberg 
uh, did not get where he is today by saying, um, hmm, no, I don't. <laughs> so he got up and apologized. And astonishingly, people didn't understand how he was apologizing without putting his company, throwing his own company under the bus. Because based on what he just said just then would have been the fuel for all of the lawsuits that would have followed. Because now you have to talk as if lawyers are listening, and they are. And his apology was I, the best you could expect under the circumstances. Exactly. Well, what's he supposed to say? I right. mean, you know, what, what are they expecting? Because you're right. Because then if he, if he decided to say something that went back on meta, then, then they, the lawsuits would start, you know. So that makes sense. Yep. I mean, they're still going to try lawsuits because right. that's the way it works. But Obviously. But he did not give them any fuel for those lawsuits that he knew immediately would be coming. He merely said he was sorry those people went through Correct. the troubles they went through, and I'm sure he is. Right. All right. Well, we've got a lot to talk about. And uh, Daniel Howes, senior editor, uh, business, and also columnist for the Detroit News, going to talk about, hey, did the president come to town yet today? Was that today? It is today, but I don't know if he's here yet. Okay. It seems, uh, well, anyway, we, it, the president and the former president clashing over the future of the auto industry. Daniel House has a thing or two to say about that, and I always like to hear what he has to say. So that's what's up next in Focus with Paul W. Smith at WJR. All righty. Um, Daniel House, senior editor, business, and uh, columnist, the Detroit News is here to talk about the presidential visit with uh, the UAW at a pep rally today. I don't exactly know when that has happened. Maybe they don't announce things like that uh, ahead of time. That that sometimes happens with presidential visits. Good afternoon, Daniel. Always a pleasure. Good afternoon, Dove. Yeah, they're keeping this one kind of close to the vest. We've had to reassign and redeploy our people a couple times this morning already. So <laughs> gotten to it. New information, and don't ask me. I can't tell you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, can I ask this question? Is he in Michigan now? You know, I'm not sure. I think, but I don't. I can't. I, I, to be honest with you, I, I don't know what wheels down was, what the latest time was on that. So I really can't tell you. All I right. Really don't know. Okay. It is. A, it's a closed event with the UAW. Not really a surprise. Uh, once he came to walk the picket line, he won over the the hearts of the uh, members of the UAW, even if he doesn't remember being there on the picket line. Um, and uh, it's now, now. open. Well, I, I, I'm. That used to be a joke. It isn't a joke well, anymore, Daniel, and you know it. Well, and if you, we've heard some some tape of uh, former President Trump. He seems to be a little confused about where he is at the time as well. So I mean, this is kind of the. Well, this, the, I, I don't this know. is what's going to happen when you get people in their 80s or close to their 80s or in their 80s uh, running for the highest office of the land. I hear you, brother. I hear you. You know, but uh, I think this is going to be interesting with Sean Payne. I mean, I think uh, uh, Trump has run up against somebody who is going to give as good as he gets and is not going to be intimidated. And, you know, we saw what Sean was willing to do during the negotiations and now he's got a bigger target and UAW come late to the party in terms of endorsing Biden 
but uh, I think Biden sees in Maine a, a, a real uh, warrior who's going to uh, take on the guy on the other side. Well, I don't know how uh, Mr. Fain is going to react to the fact that we've already heard uh, on this very program from the top of the top, but for example, GM, that they're understanding, understanding that the EVs are not catching on like fire. They have had a burst, and now the bubble has burst, and they're going to get back to the plug-in hybrids and things like that, which is kind of going against what Mr. Fain has talked about. He's been all in on the EVs supporting the auto industry, but the auto industry is finding out from the customers or potential customers, and certainly their first customer, the dealerships, that they need those uh, plug-in hybrids more than they need the fully electric vehicles. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, you know, I think, you know, these pesky consumers who aren't cooperating with the bureaucrats and the politicians, you know, what? <laughs> uh, but uh, I think you're absolutely right. And the companies that have the ability to flex between the technologies, I think, will be uh, in, in better shape. And frankly, they can all flex. Although, you know, General Motors was all EV all the time, and they quietly, uh, under pressure from dealers, uh, agreed to, to reintroduce hybrids in the North American lineup. That was broken by Kaylee Hall and our staff. Uh, and, you know, GM kind of tersely confirmed it because, you know, it was a, it was a walk back, a strategic walk back for them. Um, for Ford, I think they were in a little bit better position. They've got some hybrids already in their lineup. And Toyota clearly has understood this strategically for some period of time, and they were not buying the all-EV line and did not go all in. So now we're in a situation where we've got to wait and see. The market's developing at a different rate. Uh, but uh, it, it's still going to continue to be very competitive. And booming is, of course, the Chinese. Um, watch for the Chinese to be building uh, plants in Mexico and then availing themselves of the USMCA to bring Chinese EVs into the United States. Well, as we had Mark Royce on Tuesday, uh, we, we, talked, we talked about the fact that GM has been continuing to make plug-in hybrids around the world. So it's not like it's going to be a big change. Well, it's a big change from what their stated plan was. But they have to respond and react to the market or they're going to die. And so they are well, responding. They, yeah, and they are. But, uh, but I would also say, you know, look at what their, their quarter or fourth quarter in their year was like. They just reported earlier this week. They blew the doors off. Right. And, and that's what Mark was on to talk about. And, and under Mary Barra you know, and Mark, they have they have exceeded analyst expectations in 35 of the last 36 quarters. So uh, you know the stock's not moving that much, which is another another issue. But they're making a lot of money uh, with this strategy at this point. But having said that, they are having problems with their EV launches. The latest being software problems in the Blazer. Uh, they've had problems with the Altium battery platform. Uh, it just seems like they can't launch an EV and get it to launch without a hiccup and that's been a, a bit of a black eye and i think they understand that it's a sensitive topic but they nevertheless understand it uh but we're in a very interesting transition point the other thing i would lay on you here is you know the the industry and the biden administration have kind of been lockstep for the last three years on you know proliferation of batteries incentives for batteries and, and plants and evs and now you've got Donald Trump, who's likely to be the nominee, 
who is diametrically opposed, I think, philosophically. And so what you have is a, a continual yawing pendulum back and forth from a regulatory perspective for these companies in this industry. And that costs a lot of money and delays a lot of things because they don't have certainty. Uh, and, you know, certainty is important in business and business decision making. And from a policy standpoint, um, they just have to deal with it. They can't really change it. Uh, that's up to the voters. But um, it is a complication in all of this. I mean, even as they pull back, what happens if you get a second Trump administration and all these incentives for EVs and batteries and everything just go poof? I'll tell you, uh, Daniel House, I'm, I, every time I hear things about EVs, it concerns me greatly. We already knew a long while ago about uh, the 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 tendency for people to be very nervous about running out of power and then when it got very very cold which it does around here in chicago and a variety of other places they couldn't charge their vehicles all kinds of things but today i read for the first time that tire wear is a major problem with evs had you heard that yes and the other thing there was a story this week about the larger evs that our guardrail system in our online. Oh, yeah, I saw that too. The guardrails can't cannot, handle them. Cannot, with, cannot withstand it. I mean, if they're little EVs, I think it's fine, but if they're these big pickups, and, the, and apparently there's a video of Meridian uh, going into one of these guardrails, according to my colleague who saw it, just obliterated it, like just blew right through it. <laughs> there's I mean, so that, many that, problems that, that, you know, this is what happens. When GM doesn't stand for General Motors but stands for Government Motors, and you've got idiots in the government who know nothing about this industry or business or science, and they pushed our car companies into this territory. Got one other quick thing to say that's bothersome to me. Yes, Mr. Fain did a great job for the UAW, and it can be argued, not even argued, it's a fact. That's his job, is to represent his people and do well for them but if you're an organization that cares only for the people in your organization and you really don't care about who gets hurt by what you do that will catch up with you i'm saying that based on the thousands of people who have already lost their jobs or will lose their jobs based on his fine negotiation for his membership you cannot be a group or organization that thumbs your nose at the rest of the country period and be around and be successful. You know, I grew up in this area. I stood behind the people from the UAW who would go to the pharmacy and pay not a penny for their, their prescriptions while I paid hundreds of dollars. You know, that starts to wear on you after a while. These are not benefits we all get. Well, they, but they would say, well, if you want those benefits, you need to join the union. You're right, and they still have... Some of the best health care, I mean, it's just phenomenal health care. And so when they talk about, you know, lamenting health care changes, I mean, it's about more It's more than some of us can handle. Uh, but their response would be, well, if you want that stuff, you need to join a union. There you are. Daniel Howes, always a pleasure. Uh, probably secretly driving to where the president is going to be, but he can't tell us. I am not. I'm driving to the newsroom. Other people are doing that. I will oh. tell you that. Okay. <laughs> Very good, Daniel. Drive carefully. Thank you, sir. All right. Daniel Howe, senior editor, business and columnist of the great Detroit News, as we continue in focus with Paul W. Smith.
speaking of the uh, roads, uh, how we use them, uh, MDOT wants to know uh, some of, in fact, they want your input, and they're willing to pay you a little bit for your input. As uh, right now through March 1st, Michigan residents will have the opportunity to weigh in on the way we all pay for roads, bridges, and other transportation infrastructure in the state through a new road usage charges survey. Each respondent will receive a $10 gift card for their participation to participate. You go to www.michigan.gov forward slash MI road charge. That's michigan.gov forward slash MI road charge. And here to tell us all about it, the director of the Michigan Department of Transportation, Mr. Bradley C. Weifrick. Hello, Brad. Nice to have you on the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Appreciate the opportunity. You're taking a look at our roads, and we were just talking uh, just moments ago with Daniel House about some of the problems with EVs. Uh, uh, tires only last eight to 10,000 miles. And then there was also a study, uh, which he reminded me of, where um, the guardrails that we currently have up and down all the roads are not strong enough to uh, do what they're supposed to do with a large EV because of the weight. Yeah, I'm actually not familiar specifically with that uh, study, but obviously weight does come into uh, play a factor. I'm assuming that that would be at the upper end of the... Uh, it's know, the big ones. The, yeah, big, right. the big EVs with much more battery space. But we'll we talk about that another time. The things, I mean, eventually you will worry about what these EVs do to roads and if they should pay a little extra to drive on our roads. Tell me about the survey yeah. and what you're looking at. Sure, absolutely. Um, and I'm going to back up just a little bit and, and talk about... Um, Road funding itself, I, I think most people realize that in the state of Michigan, the road funding comes from your registration fees and the fuel taxes. And, you know, we over the last few years have been uh, asked by the legislature to look at some different alternatives to funding. As EVs proliferate, um, they won't be paying that fuel tax. So does there need to be a substitution of that? And the work that we're doing right now is very preliminary. It's just research. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to prepare for what the future might be. At the federal level, it's primarily just, again, the, the fuel tax. So um, we want to examine what might be a fair user fee to, to substitute for what we've had for many years with the fuel tax. Road usage charging is just that. It's how do we... How do we charge for roads in the future if it's not the uh, the fuel tax? Well, I think it's wonderful that, that you're actually coming to us, the people who drive the roads and will eventually pay with whatever new system is set up. I'm glad that you ask us about it. Absolutely. We need input. We realize that, um, you know, I, I think about transportation. I think about the work that we do and how important it is to everyone's daily life in one form or another, your personal vehicle, it's transit, it's it's air, it's rail, it's all of these different things that are really important to people. And the department itself is really trying to get back to not only being good engineers and technical people that know how to take care of roads and bridges, 
but really understand how people are using those roads and bridges and what do they really need. So I think getting input like that is just kind of a, a byproduct of, of our new focus. Well, I think, uh, Brad uh, C. Wefrick with us, director, uh, Michigan Department of Transportation, I, the fact that you're ahead of this, that I mean, this isn't, I don't think, at the moment being discussed uh, at all. It, 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 it is something you're... Legislature is not looking at it, I don't think, right now, but you are, and I appreciate that you're ahead of the game. And one of the possible things listed, one of the possible funding tools would be the road usage charges, which means drivers would pay, I don't know, a few cents for each mile driven versus paying based on how much gas they buy. Because, A, uh, there's less and less gas being bought by more fuel-efficient cars, and obviously by hybrids and uh, and EVs. So you're looking for a fairer, a more fairer way to pay for the roads. And it does seem that the people that use the roads the most should probably pay the most. Yeah, like 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 we said, uh, we've, we've kind of been spoiled with the fuel tax because the more fuel you purchased, I guess, depending on your fuel economy that you have in your own vehicle, um, you know, the more you would pay. So EVs do in the state of Michigan pay a premium right now on their registration to help account for um, some of that difference because they're not filling up at the pump like uh, ICE vehicles and internal combustion engines are. Um, so that that piece is, you know, we, we have it taken care of for short term. And again, anything that we're talking about is not imminent. There isn't talk in the legislature right now about this. Um, we have been asked over the last few years, I will say, two years ago, we did a tolling study, you know, what, how or if that could happen in the state of Michigan. Uh, last year, we were asked to look at the impact of electric vehicles on transportation funding and look at vehicle miles travel as another potential user charge. Then this year, uh, the legislature required us in our in our uh, budget bill to actually do a pilot. We actually are going to submit for a grant, a federal grant, um, and then do a, a full-on pilot. What we're actually doing today with this survey that we're talking about came out of a federal program called Surface Transportation System Funding Alternatives Program. So even at the Fed level, they realize that things are going to change. And they want states to go out and look for what could be. We were fortunate enough to to get one of those grants, and that's what we're rolling out right now. And each respondent will receive a $10 gift card for their participation. And to participate, again, go to michigan.gov forward slash MI road charge. And I understand that, first of all, respondents must be obviously a Michigan resident, and you have to be aged 18 or older to take the survey and you only take it once. But I understand that there's another, a couple of other opportunities down the road to further participate and could get them additional incentives ranging from $75 to $500. Yeah, those will be very limited. And, and actually, all of this is limited. Um, the, uh, um, the survey had a little bit of fine print that talks about, you know, we will pay for incentives up to a certain amount. Uh, and obviously, the intent of the incentive is to ensure that we get a statistically significant response. We want to make sure, again, and this isn't really different than a lot of other surveys that we see from different industries um, offering these sorts of incentives is, is really not a new thing. It may be new for, for MDOT, 
Um, but again, the whole intent was to make sure that we get a wide range and, and statistically significant uh, response rate. Quickly, um, how are the how are the road crews doing? Are are people giving them a better break than they used to? Or are they still throwing water bottles at them and swearing at the people who are <laughs> trying to make the roads better for us? Yeah, those folks are are really um, they're amazing. You know, back when I first started with the department, I thought it was just, you know, you just drive around in your truck and you plow snow and you drop salt. There is so much more to it and the technology. And then, like you said, the the general public that they have to deal with while they're trying to make the roads better for all of us. Um, I haven't heard of too many uh, really significant situations this year, but it is still a situation that our our hardworking maintenance folks uh, have to deal with. Well, I just wanted to remind people, come on, don't lose your mind on all of this. They're trying to make the roads better for you. So uh, appreciate it, Director uh, Wefrick, Director of the Michigan Department of Transportation, Bradley C. Wefrick. Thank you, sir. You bet. Have a great day. All righty. We'll talk again. It's uh, 1243 at 760 WJR. Gray, uh, in a word, the weather forecast right now, and it has been for a while. Gray. Luis Garcia, Media Relations, Internal Revenue Service, been helping us for years, um, and we appreciate his help today because the tax season officially began this past Monday, and the tax filing deadline is April 15th. Yes, we've always talked about how you can request an extension. You have to do that before April 15th or by April 15th. And it's an extension for the paperwork, not for the money you owe. That you have to pay up on April 15th, or you're going to look at at uh, some problems, some penalties, some interest, things like that. Uh, but we have Luis here to offer some help. He's the one guy, I always say, says, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help, and he really means it. Luis, nice to catch up with you. Nice to be back on. Thank you for having me on. Um, it, it, I'm reading some of the literature attached to what we're talking about, and it's uh, stunning to see that taxpayers have owed over $120 billion in back taxes, penalties, and interest in 2022 alone. Yeah, it's, it's part of what we call the, the tax gap. So that is the difference between uh, the amount that uh, people owe, taxpayers owe, and the amount that the IRS is uh, able to collect. And so th that difference, you know, it fluctuates, but it's uh, several hundred billion dollars. And uh, for some years, it's it's uh, right around that, uh, what you just mentioned. Oh, boy. Uh, is, there, uh, is there a time when you guys say, okay, we're going to give you a break here, uh, pay us now and we'll call it even, or is that not happening? All the time, all the time. That, that's the, the main thing that, uh, that we want to get across to people is that we're going to work with you. If you owe, um, and, and I might add, just like you owe on the 15th, whether you have an extension or not, um, you can file your tax return now and send us a payment on the 15th of April. So that, that's another kind of flip of that is go ahead and file your tax return and uh, and just send the payment on the 15th. It doesn't have to come in together. And uh, that way, if there's any problems with your return, we'll figure it out before you, you owe in case you owe more. But for um, for people who are, are looking at payment plans, 
we're, that's what we're here for. We want to work with you. But the problem is, and I hear it time and time again, is uh, our, our revenue officers will go out and they'll talk to somebody who owes and they will have literally a pile of letters from the IRS that they haven't opened. Mm. And um, they're, you know, sticking your head in the sand isn't going to make it go away. And it's just interest and penalties and it's adding up. When if you would have just came to us in the beginning, we would have offered you all kinds of options, whether it was a, a payment plan, uh, whether it was an offering compromise. It's something that you can do with a tax professional or you can do on your own. Right on our website at irs.gov, you can uh, look at the section that's called offering compromise. And let's say your business was doing great. And let's say you owed, just for argument's sake, let's say you owed $100. And, uh, but that was when business was really fantastic. Business has been terrible. And we don't think that you're going to be able to pay that $100 over the next five years. So we'll say, well, all right, we'll work with you. And we'll squeeze that down to, and we'll look at your financials, see what you do have coming in and what is reasonable for us to expect that's going to come in. And say, all right, you owe 50. So we'll work with you on a payment plan to pay off that 50. Wow. And that's something that a lot of people don't realize is totally available. It's not a secret. It's not some kind of special sauce. Uh, you don't have to pay anybody to do it. But, you know, there's some people who are like, look, I'm running a business or I've got a family here. and Go right ahead. But make sure you do your homework and you find a tax professional that says uh, that is who they say they are. So if it's a, uh, an enrolled agent or a certified public accountant or a tax attorney, make sure you look up their credentials. And it's not just somebody who is pushing out there. You see a lot of times, hey, if you owe the IRS more than 10 grand, we'll get you this and that. You know, you can do that yourself. Or you can do it with another tax with a tax professional that will charge you a lot less instead of a percentage. But do your homework, check around, and we're going to work with you or whoever you hire as your representative. But do not hide. You bury your head in the sand, and it just adds up more and you, more and you more. Can't, you can't hide from the Internal Revenue Service. Uh, you well, just you can't. can, but we'll find you. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Eventually, it's not going to be good. It's much better to go hat in hand, as the old expression was, uh, and say, look, I, I need help. I, and, and you're just now telling us, Luis Garcia, right from the Internal Revenue Service, you will work with them. You will help them. And the other thing that we have to make sure that the people understand and is everybody's worried about fraud, and they should be. But if you get a notice that says it's from the IRS, you should read it. But then what? Oh, How do you boy. know it's a real notice? Well, very good question. Excellent question, because it's not just scammers calling you or sending you direct messages on, on social media. Or Sometimes they even might show up at your door, but uh, they do send letters, these scammers as well. So the way that you know it's a real letter, first off, is you can call our 800 number, 800-TAX-1040 or 800-829-1040, and see if we've sent you uh, that le if that letter's legitimate. You can go to irs.gov and look at your tax account. You can open up, just like you have a, uh, an account at your bank, you can look at your account, your tax account at irs.gov, and all the letters that we send you, they're called notices, uh, because it's the IRS and we like to complicate things. So instead <laughs> of the letters that you see uh, that we've sent you, they'll be under notices, and you look at the letter and say, well, yes, it, it shows up in my... Uh, irs.gov account. And uh, so this is a legitimate letter. The next thing you need to do is call, once you know it's legitimate, 
is call the number that's on that letter. Sometimes we get people who will call the 800 number to confirm, and then they want to you know, proceed from there. And that's just going to complicate things for you. Just call the number that's right on that letter, and you're calling the people with the, whatever issue you may have. You're missing a document, or uh, sometimes it may be we're letting you know you've been a, uh, a victim of fraud. Call the number on that uh, letter, and it'll get you right to the department you need to speak to. Right. And and that's after you've made sure it's a legitimate letter in the ways, right. Luis, that you just suggested. IRS.gov, a good place to begin. Is it still true that if you uh, that you should be filing electronically and choosing direct deposit for the quickest action? That That's the way to go. Because if you file electronically and ask for direct deposit, you get your cash. And, and most people do get a, a refund. You get your money in uh, 21 days or less, about 14 days on average. But if you do paper and you send it through the mail, well, you're looking at about six to eight weeks, and it's your money. Believe it or not, we really do want to get it to you as fast as possible, so why wait? File electronically and ask for direct deposit. You've made it clear before, Luis Garcia, Media Relations Internal Revenue Service, tis the season, it started Monday. Not everyone with overdue taxes needs a tax attorney, but if you're dealing with tax authorities, if you owe large amounts of money or you have a tax situation that you feel unable to handle on your own, uh, it is recommended that you enlist the help of a licensed tax professional, such as a certified public accountant, enrolled agent, or tax attorney. That's That's been true for as long as I've known you. Yes, and they do a great job. Make sure that they are... Um who they say they are, you can call, for example, if it's an attorney, call the Bar Association, the CPA, call the Michigan Association of CPAs. Make sure that they have those, those credentials. Uh, also, you can go to irs.gov. We have what's called the Directory of Federal Tax Return Preparers with Credentials and Select Qualifications, which is just an IRS way of saying people who can prepare taxes for you legitimately. And you can look up that person. And for those of you that, that are, are using a tax professional uh, to do your taxes, that's fantastic. Just make sure that they sign that return. It's illegal for anybody to accept money for uh, doing the tax return and not sign it. And they have to have that PTIN, that number from that directory on there as well. So uh, make sure you're dealing with a legit tax professional. Luis, always a pleasure, my friend. We really appreciate your help very, very much. We'll talk again. Thanks, Paul W. Luis Garcia from the Internal Revenue Service here in focus with Paul W. Smith on WJR on this gray Thursday, first day of February. Stay with us. Have we uh, have we gotten a call from President Biden? No, not Dave? yet. Not no. yet. Yeah. No. Okay. No. Okay. Don't don't hold your breath. A um, couple of things here, and I knew you weren't anyway holding your breath. Uh, as we continue hour two on uh, this first day of February, and I uh, have a note here. It's unfortunately, you know, people send me a lot of things to try to promote, and I will try to promote as much as I can. But I have to be able to read clearly what was sent, and that's not always the case. And it also should be like one page because I can't go through pages and pages and pages. But here's one uh, having to do with Troy Athens High School Red Hawks. Uh, They've got a silent auction and a fundraiser for Mr. Athens Contest, part of the 2024 Athens Charity Week. It is this Saturday 
at the Elks Club of Troy on Elliott Avenue in Troy from 6.30 to 10.30 p.m. Silent auction featuring many great items to bid on, cash bar, cheap drinks, pizza brought in later in the night, mini euchre tournament, a $10 donation at the door appreciated. Proceeds of the event will go to Senior Tone Nguyen, uh, who is participating in the Mr. Athens event during Charity Week. The charity uh, chosen by Athens this year is Love for a Child, supporting foster kids in this area who have been affected by abuse, abandonment, and neglect. Spread the word, bring a friend, go Hawks, and the event sponsor, the Electric Guys. But there you have it uh, for the good folks at uh, Troy Athens High School. The Red Hawks do something a special every year in their charity week. And so that's what is going on there. And uh, we already mentioned Black History Month is underway starting today, and there are going to be lots of events that will be uh, that will be happening to celebrate uh, black history and uh, all the contributions that uh, blacks or African-Americans uh, have, uh, have made to these United States that were oftentimes uh, forgotten about in our history classes, but now they're uh, now they're uh, they're they're where they should be, and we are aware of them, and we celebrate them. Here's that story. I knew I saw it somewhere. It was in my stack of stuff here about EVs. Bad enough that there's there's they're saying that that EVs the EV tires last eight to ten thousand miles. I is it because of the weight? I don't really know. Uh, we're going to get into that further, but then. Uh, the question is, is the country's guardrail system strong enough to handle electric vehicles, which can weigh thousands of pounds more than gas-powered cars? Well, maybe that's why the tires go so quickly. And the researchers at University of Nebraska say, no, the country's guardrail system along the highways are not strong enough. They've been conducting a study to determine whether the guardrails designed to stop vehicles from leaving the road are strong enough to contain electric vehicles. And the guardrails have been failing miserably. This according to the university. He said, one of the people quoted said, we knew it was going to be an extremely demanding test of the roadside safety system. The system was not made to handle vehicles greater than 5,000 pounds. And the problem is only going to get worse, says Michael Brooks, executive director of the nonprofit Center for Auto Safety. Quote, guardrails are kind of a safety feature of last resort. I think what we're seeing here is the real concern with EVs, their weight. There are a lot of new vehicles in this larger size range coming out in that 7,000-pound range, and that's a concern. So that's just another thing we have to worry about with the EVs. I thought the guardrails were, were built to also, I guess not, to help stop trucks from crossing over into the other lanes. I, I really don't know. Um, Rieger, you had no problem on your flight uh, back and forth to uh, the Lions' sad game. You had no problem flying. No, everything. Yeah. Uh, every flight actually uh, landed early. I, I just saw in my uh, my paperwork from my mileage uh, for uh, uh, Delta. I'm a big, strong believer in Delta. They're the official airline of the Paul W. Smith Show, wherever and whenever the Paul W. Smith Show is. Uh, big believer, and it turns out they're number one, again, in the country, and for good reason. They work very hard to be the best they can be, and they are. I don't know. Oh, this was on Frontier Airlines. See, this I've, I've flown over 2 million miles 
that's just as long as I've been keeping track. There were many miles when I flew back and forth to New York every week for, I don't know, two years where I'd work Monday through Friday at WABC, Saturday and Sunday at WJR. I flew back and forth on my nickel, and it was a little more than a nickel, uh, to to be able to do both shows because I loved WJR so much. And then there was a point where we bought... Uh, ABC, we being Cap Cities. All right, the story goes on. But I've never had anything even remotely like all the stories we're getting about people acting poorly on planes. But here's one that's just mind-blowing. An unruly passenger dropped her pants and threatened to pee in the aisle during a Frontier Airlines flight. Have you ever heard of anything like this? No, I have not. You'll be shocked to know this was a 60-year-old woman. And apparently, they weren't in flight. I think they landed, and she had to go to the bathroom. And according to this story, the flight attendant said, no, she couldn't go to the bathroom. Well, that's dangerous in itself. They'd already landed, but I guess they can't. Well, we know they can't move the plane if anyone's out of their seat. So she then dropped her pants and underwear and squatted as if to urinate in the aisle. I know this is a little bit more than what Danielle can handle, but as it turns out, she did not actually go to the bathroom. But then to indicate that she had further problems than even threatening to pee in the aisle she then threatened to kill <laughs> she then threatened to kill the passengers this is sad what is going on i don't know what's going on but she now faces a maximum of 21 years in prison really oh my gosh if convicted wow. now here's the other thing that's very bothersome and i asked you to check this and i know how busy you are Mr. Rieger, as busy producer of this very program, and I depend on you for everything, and I appreciate that, the team, the team, the team. But she can get 21 years for peeing or threatening to pee in the aisle of a plane, but these punks who should be dead, who should have been shot on the spot, these punks that have been arrested now for beating up the two police officers in the middle of the day in Times Square... They're supposedly going to be or have been charged with felonies. Five of them have been arrested. Now, I asked you to check because I swear I saw a story earlier that said at least one of them, if not all of them, were already out on the street. Did you find out? Yeah, if according, it, says the, uh, it says the suspects were later freed without bail. Um, These are people, illegal immigrants who beat up two police officers who had every right to shoot and kill the people attacking them. You have to put up with a lot of crap as a cop, but you don't have to put up with people kicking you down on the ground and trying to kill you and hurt you. But does that go back to the fact that people, that police officers are afraid now because they don't know what people will do? So they just submit, essentially. Well, yeah, police officers are absolutely afraid because nine times out of ten, they're, they're found to be wrong even mm -hmm. when they're not wrong. And, and of course that's on their mind. Mm -hmm. 
But when you're laying on the ground trying to protect your head because these punks, these illegal immigrants, are kicking you, I don't know why you wouldn't have the right to pull your service revolver and blast them away. I think you would have the right. They're just too afraid to do it because of, you know, the repercussions. And by the way, they showed footage of these guys being arrested. They were laughing. Mm. They were cocky. They were giving the finger to the cameras. And they knew what was ahead to go in and not even get their wrist slapped and to be free on the street without bail. What is going on in this country? It starts at the top. I'm sorry, Mr. Biden, who's now within the sound of my voice in Michigan. Although he should listen, you know, he should stream us live from wherever he is so we can stay on top of this stuff. Anyway, uh, what in the world is going on that illegal immigrants let in by Mr. Biden's policies can beat up officers and walk free? I, I just, I am beside myself. In fact, if you look carefully, you can see me. I'm actually standing next to myself. I'm beside myself as we continue on WJR. All righty, here we go. Always a pleasure welcoming Marie Osborne back. And this is great because she's, she's tackling a story that I read about in this morning's Detroit News. And generally speaking, I glance at these stories. I wonder about them, but I move on. Luckily, she stops. She hits the brakes. And she looks into it. And here we go. This was touted as a possible treatment for Alzheimer's, which should get all of our attention. But now the company making this drug has given up the rights to it two years after the FDA approved it. Why? Because research, research showed the drug was not working. you got to ask yourself, well, then why did it get FDA approval two years ago? WJR senior news analyst Marie Osborne says this is not stopping researchers from continuing the quest to find a treatment for the disease. Thank goodness, Marie. Oh, absolutely. Thank goodness. And in fact, the research into this one drug that we're going to talk about actually opened the door to this whole new way of thinking about uh, treatment for Alzheimer's. But let's start here. We had some very high hopes for this drug, Adhulam. It was the first new FDA-approved drug that targeted the amyloid beta proteins that form on the brains of people with Alzheimer's. The drug was fast-tracked in 2021, and that's when the red flags went up. A lot of experts who said the clinical trials had failed to prove that the drug worked consistently Biogen, the company that makes the drug, stopped its clinical trials because researchers were getting mixed results. Some trials showed the drug didn't show Alzheimer's progression. In addition, Biogen came under fire because the price of this drug was $56,000 a year. So the company slashed that price in half, but critics said that's still too high, still too expensive, especially for an unproven drug. Biogen said it'll continue to study and develop potential Alzheimer's disease treatments. Biogen teamed now with a Japanese company, 
uh, last year to gain an FDA approval of Lequembi. We've talked about that before. It also is an amyloid beta-busting drug and slowed Alzheimer's disease progression in clinical studies. Those are small studies. And Paul, in a statement, the president of Biogen said that Adulum was a groundbreaking discovery for a new class of drugs and that the research would continue. Wow. I Look, I, I salute them for trying. I understand um, the pressure given that there hadn't been a, a, a new drug approved to fight Alzheimer's since like 2003. Yeah. So they were anxious to find something. And let's not forget what that would do to your company stock. I don't follow Biogen. I don't really know anything about Biogen or, or what it costs or what it doesn't cost uh, on the on the stock market. But I can tell you that I have to believe, and maybe you know this, they must have gotten a tremendous uh, boost in their stock price, Marie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, you you can't divorce money from these discussions. You can't. You, you simply cannot. But the but I think what happened is here that they did um, trials. These are, so trials are small groups of people, very small groups, and they had promise there. So when they started doing larger trials, that's when they ran into problems saying, wow, this isn't consistently showing improvement that we hoped it would. So that's when I think they, you know, took their foot off the gas and said, maybe we should just leave this here and try another avenue of this treatment. Because it's still in the same family, you know, these all these drugs are there to fight these amyloid beta proteins. They really think that's where the key is, Paul, to helping treat Alzheimer's. I, but I, I got to ask you, why would it have been given the nod by the FDA in 2021? Why would they okay. have given their approval to a drug that clearly had not been proven? All right, so here's how I understand this works. The companies, they do their, they do these trials, small, small scale again. Right. So they, they, they see success there and they say, they go to the FDA and say, we need approval on this to make bigger, uh, to conduct bigger studies. And that's where they got that approval. That's my understanding of how this works. So mm. they had promising results with the small studies, got the FDA approval, and then wanted to go further. And that's when they ran into problems. Okay, well explained, and I appreciate that. I think there still has to be some hard looks oh, at, at mm-hmm. this, especially given, again, that uh, people obviously poured money into the company. The company did very well with their stock, and uh, all for naught in the end. Well, so, and we can't forget, too, that everybody, the researchers, doctors, patients, investors are all wanting they're all wanting to see a cure in this uh sector of medicine and they're very anxious to see some improvement and they're just just not quite there yet no well and we need them to keep uh, doing it we know it Mm -hmm. takes a lot of money and they need to make money uh but that then we get into the age-old argument well how come all these drugs cost us the, the u.s so much more than they cost people just across the river in Canada or any number of other places. But that's another argument. I need to ask you a question you don't know I'm going to ask you.
Okay. Uh, and I don't. I don't. I feel ex- like Miss America at the contestant <laughs> when they're asked questions. Okay, no, go ahead. Trust me. Every question I've ever. I hate to say it this way, but trust me. You can answer every question better than any question I've ever seen answered at a pageant like that. Oh, <laughs> just gonna, I'm, some of those are online that are so you can't believe. You, you, you cannot believe what the person is saying in their answer. Uh, but anyway, that's not what I'm. <laughs> what I'm asking about is, if we have in the news what is called a potent pair of atmospheric rivers, lashing California with heavy rain and strong winds. More than 20 million people across the state are under flood alerts today as storms threaten flash flooding in cities including San Diego, Sacramento, San Francisco, San Jose, and Oakland. Like 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 four inches of rain uh, possible coming at, at, at ridiculous rates. But here's the question. Where did these atmospheric rivers come from and how come just a couple few years ago we never heard of them? This, I think you're talking about the. This is uh, the nickname is the Pineapple Express, right? I don't know. Oh yeah, it's it's called the Pineapple Express, and I I mean I've heard th- I've heard about this before, long before today. Well, oh no no, I've been hearing yeah. about atmospheric rivers a lot lately. Oh, well, but I haven't. I where yeah. were they before? Did they just start happening, or did they just decide not to call it the Pineapple Express? And and call it an atmospheric river. That's all I'm wondering about. Yeah, I I don't know the answer to that. I would imagine that they've probably accelerated like everything else in our atmosphere in the last few years. All tied into. I don't want. I'm not going to say it. You can say it. Climate change, <laughs> global warming, global cooling, climate change, up down. Call it whatever you need to at the time. Oh, by the way, now that uh, Carrie is out as the uh, global uh, climate change czar. Uh, there's a new guy announced, and I was just wondering if that new guy gets to use uh, Carrie's private jet. Oh, I didn't. No, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know about that. He got that, that from Teresa. He, a bicycle. Teresa Hines. I, I was going to mention that. He's probably going to be using a bike. Well, that would be uh, more legitimate to his beliefs, supposedly. All right, Marie Osborne, WJR Senior News Analyst, here with Paul W. Jr. I do not believe the President of the United States is here in the great state of Michigan yet. But apparently he will be soon. We'll let you know when we know. Although it's kind of at an undisclosed, I think at this point, undisclosed UAW location for a UAW pep rally. The owner of Action Impact, uh, a couple of locations in Southfield and East Point, a U.S. Army veteran, 31-year retired police officer, and been an attorney since, uh, I think, 1981. Uh, Bill Cusick is uh, is on the line with us. You've heard from him before on WJR. Uh, Action Impact, a, a gun store, if you will. And the new red flag gun law is uh, taking effect uh, February 13th, 12 days from right now. And he's here to kind of flush out more of the information we haven't talked about it in a while on this legislation that was signed last spring bill cusick welcome to focus on wjr uh, good afternoon and thank you for having me any uh, surprises or new information that has come up that might make people who thought that this uh, red flag law was a good idea that maybe you're questioning it isn't yeah so uh, as, as this became a hot topic you know, I, 
took the course to the Internet and started researching results from other states. And we're in the high teens for other states that have similar laws. And I think I was interested in to see how much impact it had. I mean, certainly we all wish it had great impact, right? I mean, none of us want anybody killed. But uh, what I discovered is that it's very rarely used. And that was, um, I kind of expected that. And it was actually confirmed that it's very rarely used. So let's take Chicago, for instance. I think it was used less than four times in one year. So then you have to really kind of examine how much impact is this type of legislation having uh, versus what was promoted for it. And we thought it would, we were led to believe it would be a great thing, but I, I'm not so sure that it is. I don't believe that it's going to be. Well, 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 it, wait a minute. It's still with a lot of flaws, Paul. Wait a minute, Bill. Um, the biggest fault that I've heard you say thus far, and I'm going to give you lots more opportunity to have more to say, but the biggest fault is that it's rarely used. What if it's used properly? Well, even then, I think it has enough flaws. So we have theoretical application, and we have reality, correct? So I think for it to only be effective, you're going to need the cooperation of the respondent. Absent the petitioner, whoever's asking for the personal protection order, is going to have to have a close personal relationship to even know how many guns this person has. So if it's law enforcement, if it's a medical profession, you're not going to know how many guns I own. You don't have a clue. And the only way for law enforcement to determine anything about my firearms would only be for handguns. You have no way to know how many long guns I have. They aren't registered. So, yeah, they're not registered, so you would have no clue. And then I need, you know, I think you need to think about, well, let's assume you don't get my cooperation. You've petitioned me in the court. I don't cooperate. You now get a search warrant to search my home. You're going to have to assume that all my firearms are in that particular dwelling, that I don't have them stashed somewhere else, that they're not in the outbuilding, they're not in a vehicle. And how long does it really take you to search a home? I'm going to tell you from personal experience, it takes hours and hours. And then even when you're done, Paul, you're not even sure you got them all, correct? And now, if I was such a risk... If you confiscated a couple of guns from me, can you automatically assume that I'm no longer a risk? There's no other way for me to cause anybody harm. You can climb so in your car. You can climb in your car and kill people. There's all kinds of stuff here. I, I, I'll right. say something else that you can speak to, again, from your own experience, Bill Cusick, and that is uh, I don't want to be the cop that has to go into some guy's house that's not cooperating to take his guns away from him. Right. So I can tell you from experience, it's going to depend on whose house you're going to. So uh, years ago when I was a patrol officer, it was not uncommon for us to take temporary possession of firearms in domestic situations, correct? Right. Now, if you're dealing with somebody that's having a mental health crisis, that's going to be a different ballgame. So I have literally consulted with officers who have told me that they have no intention of executing any search warrant uh, without some type of precautions being had. So what do you got? I guess you're going to call on the SWAT team. I don't know because now you're getting into people's constitutional rights. And if somebody's having a mental health crisis, you start confiscating their property, which they believe they constitutionally own. You're going to, you're going to be met with some resistance. So it's kind of funny because if you look at the legislation and you can only envision a person having one gun, well, this is kind of a no brainer. But I know people literally have a couple hundred guns. 
and certainly dozens of guns. And sometimes a spouse doesn't even know how many guns their spouse owns. So there's, and to me, you know, when you're done with this, are we really safe? Because you confiscated a couple of firearms. Well, February 13th, uh, when this law goes into effect, it's one of, it's one in a, what's called a slate of gun violence prevention laws taking effect next month, this month, uh, including universal background checks, safe storage requirements, limits on domestic abusers seeking to purchase new firearms. That, let's look at that one for a second. New protections preventing domestic violence offenders from buying, owning, or transporting firearms within eight years of their conviction. That also will take effect this month, middle of the month. Again, do you find that toothless? I do. I mean, currently under federal laws, a federal firearms license dealer, if you have a domestic violence conviction, I cannot sell you a firearm. So then the issue becomes you catch a domestic violence conviction, you're going to have to presumably, I guess, turn your firearms in as a condition of your probation or something is what I'm going to guess. Or they're going to be seized. But remember, the government can only seize with a search warrant. So, you know, it's all kind of toothless to me. (laughs) Do something for me, then, that isn't asked enough. Okay, here you are, the owner of a gun store, uh, Action Impact, two locations, Southfield, East Point. You've got, you're a U.S. Army veteran. You're a retired police officer. You've been an attorney. uh, And so I'm not going to ask you what's not going to work, which is what you're saying about the red flag law. What would you do to make us all safer? Well, I, I guess it depends what we're looking at. So if we're looking at street violence, then I'm going to increase your number of specialized task forces. I'm going to target particular groups. I'm going to target gangs. I'm going to target cartels. And, yes, cartels are operating in the Detroit metropolitan area. We don't like to hear it. We don't like to think about it. But I think if you don't target these and they're organized crime. If you don't target them, then you're really going to have very little impact. Understand that the majority of your violence is done with illegal guns. Right. It's not done with responsible citizens that own, responsibly own their firearms. So most of that is really organized crime activity. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, to try to keep kids safer. I'm going to start educating kids because when you tell me that you now have a new safe storage law, which I, know I endorse it. I don't have a problem with that. But if you have to tell somebody to keep their loaded firearms away from their children, you're almost wasting your time. That's probably not a message that's not going to get heard. So then who do we deliver the message to? Well, we have children gather in mass in schools, so maybe we can start an education program there. We can't get to their parents. They don't pay attention to us. They're not listening to your show. They're not reading uh, the newspaper if anybody still does besides me, but you know, me. Those parents aren't doing that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There's two of us, that, but those parents aren't doing that and they're not taking this, these warnings to heart. All right. Uh, so I got to, I got to cut you off because they play the music. That means we're out of time, but I got to ask you this as a retired copper, how sick does it make you to see two police officers being waylaid on beaten up by illegal immigrants uh, if if that were me and I were a cop, they would have been dead. I would have shot them because you're you put up with a lot as a cop. You don't have to put up with somebody trying to kill you, kicking you in the head, and doing all of that. I don't know why they didn't shoot them, but now to well, hear because they're afraid, Paul. They're afraid. They're afraid of getting in trouble. I guess they're we covered that earlier. 
So yeah. now we've got these punks who aren't even supposed to be here walking by cameras when they're arrested, laughing and giving the finger to the cameras because they know what's coming and what what they knew was coming came. They got let yeah. out without bail. Wouldn't that drive you crazy? Well, it would. So I've always said this. I was a policeman at a good time because you wouldn't, that wouldn't have happened at the time I was a policeman, but that's what's happening now. So I would have a very hard, difficult time today. So, you know, that's all I can say is the cops are afraid. They're afraid to act. They consult with me uh, consistently. And I really don't have any answers for them. Bill Cusick, owner, Action Impact 2 in Southfield and East Point. Thank you, sir. Appreciate Thank you, sir. Help. Have a good day. You okay. do the same. We continue on WJR. You know, we are thrilled to get all the accolades, and they've been rolling in for a while. Uh, Detroit's revitalization efforts uh, certainly paying off. The global recognition rolling in as the city is, among other things, named the best place to go in North America uh, in uh, in uh, 2024. Condé Nast Traveler, where to go in 2024 by a far. I mean, the listing, uh, the listing and uh, accolades go on and on. There's a reason for much of this, and we would, we, if we asked Quentin Messer Jr., the CEO of the MEDC, it's it's not just companies coming here, but companies that have been here, that have a history here, and that have helped rebuild Detroit. And that goes for Roncelli. In fact, Gino Roncelli, a fellow board member with me of Tony Michaels Parade Company, on the other end of my line right now as president and CEO of Roncelli, and you have played a very big part in helping build Detroit uh, back up to bring in more visitors to help the Michigan economy. And we we haven't taken a look at this uh, lately, so we're doing it right now. Gino, welcome back. Uh, Thank you for having me, Paul. I uh, haven't seen you in a bit. Super pumped to be on the show. Thank you. Super pumped to have you here in a company like so many in our great uh, area uh, in in Detroit and the surrounding area, the sound of my voice. Here you have a company founded by, in this case, your grandpa Raymond Skip Ronselli, uh, nineteen sixty six. Began as a trenching company. You've made your name uh, working for the big three and for tier one automotive suppliers. But you've done so much, and I'm glad we can kind of go over some of the things that you've accomplished proudly that have helped Detroit. Uh, Detroit has, uh, has helped us and we're helping back, but it is amazing. If you look back on our 60 something year history to think we'd be so niche automotive, what else is there happening in Detroit this past year, we're going to, we double our employees, 200, almost all of which are local, probably going to do 400 million or so in construction in the Southeast Michigan area, a good 60, 70, 80 of that in Detroit. It's, a uh, People think it all just comes, and you're right. You mentioned the MEDC. It takes a whole host of characters to bring it here, but the business is here. And uh, when it comes, you don't think that it takes someone to build it, but here we are, and we're ready to go. Well, and I salute you for that. And this goes back a decade. This goes back uh, when you uh, built the corner ballpark presented by Adient. And uh, I'm very familiar because uh, at that time, my Paul W. Smith Golf Classic was to benefit just PAL. We have since, in the years gone by... We we we've in the years gone by we've expanded it so we have four children's charities but but we were there and we were aware and and that's a great uh, facility that you guys built and Kim and I and the family are thrilled to have a 
a meeting room named after us there for all these years of the work we've done together. But uh, I want to make sure people know that it didn't happen without you guys. It didn't happen without Roncelli. And that would include the Detroit Highlands Restaurant, Lumen Restaurant and Beacon Park, uh, lots of logistic uh, facilities. You know what else? Uh, our, our old friend Joe Vicari, uh, the restaurant maven. Uh, heck, you did uh, the Andiamo and the Rensen, if I'm not mistaken. We did. It's uh, it's amazing to be on the radio. We're the, the quiet builder who doesn't get a ton of notoriety. Um, but these projects don't happen overnight. They don't happen with us. That, that was an incredible build. Uh, it probably goes back 17, 18 years, but staple uh and now right below the most recent one we're renovating which is at the top of the Rensen. uh you'll remember it as the old coach insignia uh, but we actually built uh, the highlands restaurant up there which if you haven't been is a wonderful restaurant you know i have not been and i have heard that though that it was a wonderful restaurant and i know too in terms of projects you're working on now the uh, uh, down the the road from the fisher building and and very close to uh, henry ford health uh, and everything great that's going on there with the new hospital coming and uh, all of that, the the Motown Museum expansion uh, you've been working on. Uh, we have been. Um, Motown expansion, it's, it's amazing. When you add up the downtown, the cork town, the news center, kind of that, that bubble, we probably got $150 million in, in various projects across the three, three um, in that news center area what Henry Ford's doing to with their uh, destination grand incredible how they're expanding access to medicine. DMC is doing the same. Uh, if you haven't heard of it, we're building Detroit Wayne uh, integrated mental health facility as well. Um, it's a good friend of mine, chief of staff, Brooke uh, Blackwell over there who runs that, but expanding as Detroit grows, they're expanding our facilities. We're expanding our art, our entertainment. We're working on an, 80-unit high-rise that's going to be going on Broadway right there across from the YMCA downtown. It's, it's just amazing to see the work that's happening in the downtown corridor. Well, and, and you know, you are the quiet ones, you, and you, you, probably, <laughs> you should probably spend a little more time on WJR letting people know what you're doing. And I can tell you we can work out a plan like that because uh, I, I understand in the past being quiet, but there's a lot of noise out there, and a company like Roncelli should not be so quiet, sir. You deserve uh, to get I, some of the recognition. I know you don't do it for the recognition, but doggone it, you deserve it. <laughs> well, thank you. I've been a, uh, we've been crossing each other's paths for some time. I've been a fan for a long time, but to be on the show, it, fe- it feels like we're really making it. So it is amazing. <laughs> it's one slowly. Lowly contractor is going to put $400 million in, in work in place this year. Really, really incredible place to be. And can't do it without the city, without you, and all the way, great ways you contribute to all the NGOs we work with. It takes a village. And it, it, it feels like at this point in history, Detroit's making it. We're on the way. You're a big part of that, my friend. How do people get in touch with you? Uh, if you would uh, like to visit our website, www.roncelli-inc.com. Um, we're a little bit busy, but for the right people, the right project, we'd love to build with you. Please reach out. I'm sure people will. Gino Roncelli, congratulations to you and the family. President and CEO of Roncelli. We'll talk again soon, Gino, and I'll, I'll see you at one of those uh, Detroit Parade Company board meetings.
We'll see you soon. Thank you for having me, Paul. All right. Thank you. Thank you for streaming us, folks. The best and brightest audience in all of radio at WJR.com, Alexa, Google Home, the WJR app. Go to thegreatvoice.com for our podcast. That's important to us. Stand by for news. JR Afternoon with Chris Renwick on your way to making each and every day count each day as a gift. We'll look forward to being with you tomorrow from noon to 2 or on the podcast. Regards, Paul W. Smith.